This is Rabbi Talmud Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing Padasha number 46, Akev, Because. And this is Devarim, Deuteronomy 7.12 through 11.25. So there's 170 times. 170 times is the number of times in the Old and the Refreshed Renewed Covenant, sometimes called the New Testament, that God or his prophets and apostles refer to the need to follow his instructions. When are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? We're not. Torah says there are people who will curse him to the very end. This is the if-then relationship between loving obedience and observance, which is works, directed by God in tablets of stone and beyond that will result in salvation from his presence for an eternity. So if you think I sound like a nagging spouse, just remember, 170 times the issue of obedience is addressed by our God. So it follows that we're going to place our focus on the lesson today on this. So we need to go back to the translation of the Hebrew as close to the actual writing before we can move on. So starting with the first sentence of the parasha, I'll show you how difficult this can be. In the complete Jewish Bible, 7.12, Devarim 7.12 says, Because you are listening to these rulings, keeping and obeying them, Adonai your God will keep with you the covenant and mercy that he swore to your ancestors. Now notice it said, because you are listening. Then we go to the Hebrew, English Old Testament. And it says, Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. Then we go to the interlinear Hebrew-Greek-English Bible, and it says, And it shall be, because you hear these ordinances, and keep and do them, that Jehovah your God shall keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And then finally we go to the Septuagint. Right? This was the first translation into Greek from the Torah. And it says, It shall come to pass when ye shall have heard these ordinances and shall have kept and done them, that the Lord thy God shall keep for thee the covenant and the mercy, which he swore to your fathers. Holy moly. All right. So you might ask, what's the big deal how this scripture is translated? Well, it makes a significant difference especially considering Hebrew being a dynamic language and the tense of the verbiage is everything in understanding the context or the content of Scripture. So in this case, we must discern the difference between Stern's translation and that indicated, uh, that indicated the Israelites are already keeping God's commands, listening to and obeying them. Now, in the Hebrew-English Old Testament, we see a conditional statement, including the word if, indicating that the observance of God's commands is not a given. In the Hebrew-Greek-English Bible, it states that because the Israelites here keep and do the ordinances of God, and in the Septuagint, there is a new translation that when the ordinances are heard and kept. So we have, you know, the if, when we use these translations, that's consistent with God's Torah, by the way. That if-then condition is consistent throughout the Torah. So that's one we need to set to the side and say, hmm, this one is probably the correct one. 
So we have to ask ourselves, how do we choose? How do we choose? Most people don't. They'll just read a translation, take it for what it says, and go from there. Or they'll listen to Christian clergy, for example, and say, hey, we already heard, we're doing, and so we've reached that point of salvation with God, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. So one translation indicates the Israelites are already observant. Another indicates a choice to be made using the word if as a conjunction. And still others indicate that the ordinance and commands have not yet been received. So to solve this dilemma, we must look at other scripture to place the course of events in perspective. The Ten Commands had already been given. So at least the basics had been made known to the people. So that rules out the one when you hear, because they already had them. This eliminates Stern's translation and the Hebrew-English Bible translation and the Septuagint translation. We're left with the Hebrew-English Old Testament translation that places the conditional word if in the sentence. So what support do we have that this is the correct one? This is what I do all week, and it's fun. Again, we go to scripture, other scripture. Back to the first sentence in this parasha, we find that 170 times God presents before us a condition that will place us in the category of a true believer defined by Yahweh Yeshua himself throughout his Torah, as I said. This is the one that is consistent. You won't find the others consistently through Torah. If we follow Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 11, then we will be considered one of his people, part of the new priesthood described in 1 Peter 2, 9, and a servant of God. If we rebel and disregard the commands of God, we read of the consequences that are starting to happen now. Now, even if you subscribe to climate change, now there has been climate change, and a lot of it has been man-induced, but what is the backdrop of all of this? It is man's sin, and it's affecting everywhere and everything in the universe. I heard an article, read an article, heard it on the news this morning about, about China. They are having such record heat and drought problems that they were predicting within a few years that the northern part of China will not even be inhabitable. And these temperatures are going all the way from the east coast all the way to Tibet. And they're getting ready to shut down power plants for a week at a time. What do you think that does to the supply chain? because we have corporations over there. So it's gonna get worse and we can't just say, ah, oh, that's them. We cannot operate in isolation anymore because we're not in isolation anymore. This is a global problem. If we rebel, and we are, and disregard the commands of God, which we are, we read of the consequences, some of which are beginning to experience as a rebellious, stiff-necked nation and world. And we have another scripture in this parasha that also supports the if-then relationship God offers the Israelites, which applies to anybody who wants to be considered a true believer. In Deuteronomy 11.13, we read, So if you listen carefully to my mitzvot, mitzvot are commands, which I am giving you today, to love Adonai your God and serve him with all your heart and all your being, then, says Adonai, I will give your land its rain at the right seasons. We're not seeing that anymore. 
including the early fall rains and the late spring rains, so that you can gather in your wheat new wine and olive oil, and I will give your fields grass for your livestock with the result that you will eat and be satisfied. This is talking about the land now, but we again cannot isolate the land there from what we're to do with the land here. You think Shemitah only applies to Israel? You think the land here doesn't need to rejuvenate and rest? Well, we've not laid, and look what's happening. This recitation is a reiteration of what had recently been done. The people had already received the commands of God, and now they were being admonished to follow them. So we can see that the if condition translated in the Hebrew-English Old Testament is consistent with the remainder of God's Torah in this context. So there you go. We weeded through all of this, looked at all these translations, and there are actually uh, there are more than 26 now, but 26 is what I generally refer to when looking for the best translation. The scripture to pull this concept together is found in Deuteronomy 10.12, and it says, So now, Israel, all that Adonai your God asks from you is to fear Adonai your God, follow his ways, love him and serve Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being, to obey for your own good the mitzvah and regulations of Adonai, which I am giving you today. So this is a crowning scripture. If then, do this, do this. So I hope the dissection of this scripture helps to reiterate the importance of not taking one translation or the opinion of one person or clergy even to heart without further investigation. We need to do our homework because the test is coming. We're already being tested, but it's going to get worse. If we love Yahweh Yeshua as we profess, should we not find joy in taking the time to delve into his word carefully and methodically with a humble heart, asking for knowledge and wisdom to be used for his glory and not ourselves? Rahaf draws out of Isaiah 49, chapter 14 through 51. This is the second of the seven prophecies of comfort read between the fast of the ninth of Av and Rosh Hashanah. Our Haftarah begins with the words, The prophet guarantees that a new and improved B'nai Yisrael will soon be united in the land of Israel. And Yahweh will turn her ruins into a paradise and her wilderness into a garden of Yahweh. Now, exile in any form does not mean divorce or a broken covenant. Israel was divorced at one time by God, Israel being the ten northern tribes, because of her sin. And Judah was punished. That's the southern kingdom. That's the kingdom of people, Benjamin, Levi, um, who will be, and Judah, who will be witnessed to by the 144,000. Those are the ones, the southern kingdom. All right. We also know that a man cannot remarry a divorced wife. But God, in the role of the son Yeshua, will marry a repentant Israel, that's all true believers, as the bride of Yeshua mentioned in Revelation, not the church. Israel has not been replaced by Christianity as taught in that religion. God is one. He is a complex unity and not a trinity. He manifests himself in the context of what he wants to do, just like we do. If you want to be a husband, to your wife in a role, you, you act in that role. You present that role, the husband. 
and not necessarily a master to your dog. You know, it's a different role. And that's the way Yeshua operates. He manifests himself in the role he wants to take for the mission that he has. He's able to express himself as father, as son, and he can do it at the same time. Or he created the universe and can manipulate natural laws any way he wishes. All right, our Brit Kaddish is out of James chapter 5. And it says in chapter 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, into the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Now he's talking about the land of Israel. This is James 5, 7 through 11. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. People go, yeah, 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 they've been saying that forever. It, it's coming. How can you deny it? People do, but you really can't if you look at it realistically. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. One of our biggest challenges is keeping our fellowship together, true fellowships together. People argue and carry on about some of the dumbest things that really have nothing to do with God's Torah, their personal opinions about certain things that are happening. We can agree to disagree on anything except God's Torah, right? So have at it. Believe different than I do about some of the things that are happening here, but not God's Torah. Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. As we're just talking to, uh, to her, you know, some of these heaviest challenges, some of my worst patients, I have to see the most. And it's because I have not, I can't speak for her. I have not reached that point where God says, okay, you've passed this test. Now we'll give you a sum that listen. And it's like, oh, thank God. Give me a patient that actually listens. I love it. We have to go those through those ones who don't, who give us the hardest time to glorify God the most. Behold, we count them happy which endure. She doesn't see that right now, but she will. <laughs> Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And then James continues the thought of chapter 4, 13 through 17. The reference to the earlier and latter rain is called Acharit. This is the end of days. The verse refers to the climatic pattern of Israel where the bulk of the rain comes between October and March. The early rain, Yore, comes in October, and the latter rain, which is rare, comes in April, Mafush. A spiritual application of this term is that the early rain came at Shavuot, and the Malchosh, the latter rain, is coming soon at the Lord's return. How cool is that? Won't need an umbrella for that one. Verse 9 repeats the warning of 4, 11, and 12. Verse 10 and 11 is an example of suffering and mistreatment and being patient, giving us an example of the prophets and the perseverance of Job. And here we encounter the phrase, and you have seen the end of the Lord. We should understand that this phrase means, and you know what the purpose of Yahweh was. What is that purpose? To justify the ways of Yahweh to man and to angels. As Milton wrote in his Paradise Lost, Job's trouble began when Yahweh chose to answer Hasatan's challenge by permitting him 
to touch Job's possession and person, except that he could not take his life. Job persevered in the face of all his losses and pain, but in the end, Yahweh vindicated himself and proved to Job and to us that only Yahweh has the power and the wisdom to deal with Hasatan. Anybody who says, oh, I could just rebuke Hasatan and he'll flee from me. No, what it's talking about is stand firm in God's Torah and God will make him flee from us. We cannot conquer Satan in our own power. And there are people, charismatic Christians, doing that every day, praying over that chair, putting up a fence around Inglis. That's a famous, well, that's not a famous story, but it's one I always get a kick out of. They were going to rebuke Satan and build a fence around Inglis. And they had a wicked storm that really tore it up down there, or up there. So much for that. We are forever dependent upon Yahweh Elohim in our spiritual battles and for our very existence from moment to moment. Now, some of the sages' wisdom says that you will know with your heart that like a man who rebukes his son, so too Yahweh rebukes you. Now, Rabbi Shemshon Raphael Hirsch asks why the verse uses the term with your heart as opposed to the more common term in your heart. And he explains that there's an important difference between the two. Right? To know your heart is to understand something by using your heart as an organ of perception, of thought. However, to know with your heart is not just to understand, but also to take that understanding with you in whatever you do. Right? An Israelite is meant to take the experiences of reward and punishment that Yahweh has given him and carry them forward through his life. That's why they talk about when they're anointing the priesthood, uh, those who are going to be the priests, their, their ear and their thumb and their toe, is so that you hear, you internalize the word of God, you, you actively carry out the word of God, and then the foot running, you know, like crazy, with enthusiasm and zeal to follow God's Torah. And that's why they do that. That's what that stands for. All right. Shalom. They brought us. Let me get this.